Welcome everyone to another episode of Mango Misale. My name is Gaines. I'm here with Halima. And I have something very special to start off, yeah. kick off the conversation with. Halima, why don't you ask me what I did on Thursday? What did you do on Thursday, Carlos? Just mask club, didn't I? How did you meet them? Right. So it's a long story. Basically, um, I was always going to go to S Club. I was going to go on Friday the 13th of October. However, I got a text message from our good friend Shweta, who's also been on the show um, back in the day. And yeah, and she said, um, for context, Shweta's mum is a big advocate for um, British Heart Foundation, shout out oh. Auntie Priya, um, because sadly um, she did suffer cardiac arrest last year. Oh. She's luckily fine now. But after that, she um, has raised a lot of money, including a massive walk we did at Dunham Massey mm. in the summer, which raised like 10 grand for British oh, Heart wow. Foundation. Wow, really? Yeah. That's amazing. So obviously, British Heart Foundation love her. Um, and for other like slightly sad context um obviously a member of s club seven died earlier this year paul catamol and um he actually died of an undiagnosed heart condition so they when that happened they were already going to go on tour but then he died in the run-up to it so they reframed it as being like a tribute to him and raising money for the british heart foundation yeah it was quite, quite emotional um, so they reframed it for all of that. So British Heart Foundation were then massively involved in the tour. Mm. And obviously because of everything that Priya had done raising money, they were like, oh, well, do you, yeah, we, we're doing loads of like, um, well, not loads of, but basically people that have like raised money or volunteer for British Heart Foundation. Yeah, you can come and like oh. get free tickets, meet the band. Obviously then... Um, Obvious choice is Carlos Yeah, now. because... For anyone who's at my wedding, obviously saw that me and my friends did a massive S Club routine as the I mean, dedication that's not to where, them. That's not where the story starts for Carlos. It's not no, just that he did a tribute. It starts, Imagine yeah. it's your wedding and you're doing a tribute to to a, a band at your wedding. I mean, I expect to see the same at yours. You pick, you pick whoever you want to do, but... Regardless, the point is he's a huge fan. So, yeah, obviously, I'm a massive S Club fan. Obviously, people, a lot of people did know that, and a lot more people came to know of that when they saw me doing them at my wedding. And so, obviously, Priya was like, oh, should I, um, like, invite to come with me for these tickets? And obviously, Shweta was like, well, obviously, you have to invite Carlos. So then she rings me up on Monday night and is like, oh, like, do you want to, are you going to the S Club, right? Like, do you want to meet them? I was like, yes. Yo, what was your response? <laughs> Talk us through what that was like I was like kind of this like bit So like, you're just at home. Shot. You're just at home. Yeah, doing work on the computer. Right. And you know what's funny is, after, it's not it's not funny what my reaction was, it's what I did afterwards. What? Because obviously, um, I then finished the call with Shweta, went downstairs to speak to Mayank and my wife about it. And I was like, um, I was obviously like, sh- still in shock from it. So I was like, oh, Mayanka, like, you know, um, obviously, Shweta's mom like had um, the cardiac arrest and like British Heart Foundation. She's like, "What? What's happening? Like, what's this really serious?" I was like, "Oh well, yeah, like we've got free tickets to the S Club." She's like, "Are you kidding me?" She thought you was but, gonna say yeah, something some really, really bad. bad. Like, Bless her. But um, no, what was your reaction? What Shweta said? Do you want to meet them? What went through your head? I was just like, well, I I can't turn this down. I was obviously like, in did the you moment, think it was like, oh my god, I never yeah. thought this would happen to me because they're always like of a lifetime. Don't meet your heroes, aren't they? But it's oh, like, yeah. but it's like, I was like, 
obviously the S Club are probably the closest thing to that that I have. So I was a bit like, oh, should I actually do this? But I was like, you know what? Like, I can't say, I can't you live can't my life to no. turn this down. So I was like, no, I need to do it. Um, and yeah, it was good in classic um, Asian fashion. Auntie Priya and her sister who came nearly missed it because oh, they turned up late. But yeah, it was really nice. They were all really, really nice. And I even managed to actually show them a little bit. Oh, on yeah. The video. They had like a really, there was a nice reaction. Yeah. They were literally like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Because I think when I first told them, like, oh, I did like a S Club dance at my wedding, they were like, oh, okay, cool. Cute. And then they, then they actually looked and the saw that production. it was, they saw that it was actually their choreography from back in the day. And they were like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, and then obviously the concert afterwards um, was really nice. Like I said, it was a tribute to Paul for a lot Aww. of it. Like, yeah, it was a really nice evening. And yeah, I think I saw them in 2015 as well. And I think it was actually quite a bit better than that. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. Um, and you know what? It's also really good that this happened because, like I said, um, I obviously got this offer earlier this week. Originally, I was going to go see them in Liverpool on Friday because I couldn't go to the later Manchester date because I've got a wedding on that day. Um, but it actually turned out that the Friday 13th day ended up getting cancelled last night. You're joking, or re- right? Rescheduled, oh. but still, because of some... Um, trouble at the arena in liverpool like they like some fire happened and no it messed way. with the electricity See, and they like can't do it god's so, favorite carlos exactly this is what i mean first of all like Not i obviously go to see them where you would have missed yeah. out but you got to meet them exactly and now it's like well now now is the that was the reason why that ended up happening and it was also going to be a massive faff to obviously go to liverpool on friday yeah. evening as well so yeah blood works mysterious ways you know what i love that for you carlos yeah Speaking of the Lord, or people speaking of the Lord in mysterious ways. Oh my God. <laughs> why you kick off this? We event? actually should do like a compilation of like just <laughs> segues. the most ridiculous segues. We were just having a little conversation the other day talking about how funny it is. Um, like, you know, um, it's like certain Islamic terms, you know, for, for example, like, mashallah, alhamdulillah, inshallah, like obviously islamic terms arabic terms um we were just talking about the kind of proliferation of these terms into more kind of like mainstream jargon and colloquialism and a lot of people kind of using those terms now who um don't actually belong to the islamic faith um I th- I think it's a lot to do with actually I see it more in kind of like I hate the term urban culture but I don't know how else to describe it in this instance, you know. Um, and I think slightly it's a lot to do with like um, like grime music kind of. like cause That kind of culture. That kind of culture, right. like UK yeah. rap, grime music, that kind of like, once again, I hate using the term, I'm just using it because it's easy right now, but like urban culture. <clears throat> and I think actually it's because of, like at first I was thinking like, hmm, how do I feel about that? Obviously there is a certain level of it where, it's a bit hypocritical where people are kind of like you know have have general islamophobic views and ideas and sentiments and then they're kind of like reappropriating um like islamic terms that's the bit where it's a, it's a little bit like why are you doing like that's just a bit hypocritical you know um <laughs> but then also it's kind of like it makes a lot of sense actually that that it would enter kind of main not mainstream but like i guess urban colloquialisms because um, of the cultural exchange 
in those like urban spaces once again i hate the word urban i'm just using it because it's easy um because of cultural exchanges you know like um when you look at um like for example like grime music or uk rap music where i would say these these like like these terms are used quite heavily in like uk rap music um i guess the places that 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 kind of rap music comes from and the artist the places that the artists come from um are areas of like um like high non-white ethnicities like a lot of muslims a lot of immigrants um so even when you're not muslim there's this thing called like muslim adjacent where you're basically like you're just surrounded by a lot of muslims and then you just kind of end up obviously adopting certain um certain islamic terms because i have i have friends as well actually that will use terms like inshallah and, and blah, blah 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 and it's just because just through so much so many conversations that i'm having with them and for me it's like it's just like an everyday word that i use it's really part of my everyday lexicon let me slide in yeah go on <laughs> so what i'm interested to know is obviously as a practicing muslim who uses these words like you say in everyday context but ultimately it is it is still a religious thing how does it make you feel seeing people use it in a lot more colloquial colloquial sense um well i think it's like two-tier to be honest like there is a part of it as i was saying where it's a bit like mm, it seems a bit hypocritical because i know that i know i know that there'll be bare people using it who are actually like islamophobic have shared islamophobic um sentiment or rhetoric or whatever and in that uh, in that regard it's kind of like and it's just so it's just i, I don't know i think it's a very interesting con- uh, conversation on like language in general and kind of like the um appropriate the appropriations and the representations of language as we go on because it's like for example um a lot of like um black slang you know whether that's like um slang words that come from like patois or like pidgin english from areas of west africa whatever um that becomes part of like again i hate the word but i'm using it like the urban kind of lexicon um and it would be hypocritical because it's like a lot of people who are using words that comes from these kind of black cultures are racist right um and yet they have no issue like reappropriating that kind of language and re representing it as kind of their own um but i think ultimately it just speaks to that cultural exchange as i was talking about so i think it really just depends on the individual mm. and the context do you not see it semi as like um this idea of like taking god's name in vain sort of thing because aside from even muslim um or islamic language um just in general like using religious um language in general terms like people saying oh keep it kosher or like even on like a more serious level in terms Mm. of people that obviously say jesus christ as a swear word um i mean obviously again that's like it's a bit different I like, but but, but it's also just like that that has always kind of made me feel a certain way and I, i've personally really? always i've always like avoided doing that because i'm just like even though i would say like i still tick christian on the um like what's it called census but i wouldn't necessarily i wouldn't necessarily say i align with that faith completely anymore mm. however i still feel like ultimately yeah like it's it's ultimately it's 
the son of God slash God. I don't really see why it's used. And especially when people say it, it's usually in a negative context as well. And I, a lot of these people obviously don't necessarily believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I just, I don't know. I just I think, think in this case as well, it's just not really... You know what it is? I think for me, I'm a very, very like, this is actually a very interesting conversation that I have all the time because uh, for those of you who aren't aware, I have a very, very, very bad potty mouth. Like, you're not, you know, <laughs> Carlos is there nodding his head. But um, I have a awful potty mouth. And um, I have debates with people all the time where people are like, stop swearing. It's not good. It's bad. It's immoral, blah, 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 blah. And for me, I see it as like, it's language, you know, like the context, the meaning, like the, 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 the language is... Um, a so it's like it's socially constructed and meaning is given by the spatial temporal historical context of the of the time in which that language is being used right that's why we have concepts like etymology because language changes over time and for me like <clears throat> um there has been a kind of like i guess normalization of certain words over time um and and in doing so, it changes the entire, not just context, but the meaning of those words. For example, there's bare words that we use nowadays that have a certain meaning and you trace it back far enough and it will have a completely different meaning. You know, there's certain words that we use now just kind of in everyday conversation where maybe a few hundred years ago, it would have been like an un unspeakable word, you know? So <clears throat> that's how I see it. I see it as kind of it being more as a... And and again, language is also a product of cultural exchanges. Like there is, there, just because we're speaking the English language doesn't mean that every single word has come from like uh, exclusively English history. Like the English language has so many words borrowed from so many other cultures. And this again is just one of them. Um, and also, like, it's not, even though we're saying it's an Islamic term, it's an Arabic language. So it's not inherently, like, holy, if you get what I mean. Because, like, for example, the word Allah. Allah is obviously what most people refer to as the, the Islamic God with. But actually, it's it's just the Arabic word for God. So Christians, Arab Christians also call God Allah, you know? So it's just the Arab word for God. But it's interesting. It's I, just bandwagon. That's what it is. It's bandwagon. Yeah. But I guess then, but then it's like, so is all language and, and culture. Mm. You know, it's just it's just a sphere of influence. Yeah, well, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. But yeah, um, that was a nice little ease into the conversation. So the main purpose of today's show is to talk about what's been going on in Western Asia. Um, a lot of people are talking about this, obviously, because it has been a lot of coverage of it on the <coughs> news in the past week. Um, obviously want to make it clear that when I say we're going to be talking about this because of recent events, we're very much aware that this is something that's been going on for a very long time. Henceforth, why we're going to be providing a lot of historical context on how we got to here. Um, I should say, like, if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, talking about the violence that is currently taking place in um, Palestine and Israel. I want to also kickstart by saying that, obviously, in light of these recent events, charities that monitor these things have seen a rise in both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. So, obviously, I want to say both of those never okay. They we shouldn't be seeing that in retaliation to this, whatever your views are, and solidarity to both the Jewish and the Islamic communities around the world that are watching in horror at what is going on or have been watching what's 
um, been happening for the past couple of decades. But yeah, just want to say we are in no way condoning violence. We support the Palestinian right to liberation, but we are not condoning violence in any way. So please do not construe our words. Also, if you go and listen to this on socials, it's very likely that we obviously will have clip things down and you might see things without this context <laughs> in there so yeah please like we are not in any way trying to push for the it's a killing very, or it's hate a very, towards yeah. any group it's a very um like it's very treacherous territory when we discuss this because obviously the fallout of islamophobia and anti-semitism that we've been seeing like especially mm-hmm. in the past week um however we are going to be taking a strictly factual approach the only time we're going to be discussing anything um of our kind of own reflections is right at the end but Otherwise, it's a completely factual approach. This is not, yeah. you know, this is not me making things up and saying things from my own opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, one final thing just as well is just to say, like, I've heard um, stories of people from both the Jewish and Muslim communities that ha- have people are missing. They don't know where they are. It's obviously a very scary time for anyone who has any kind of connection to this area. So incredibly sorry for anyone that is going through anything yeah. result of this. And yeah, with that being said, um, we're going to kick off things by just having a bit of a conversation and providing a bit of historical context as to how we've actually got to this point in regards to Palestine within Israel and tensions between the two. Yeah, because a lot of people don't actually understand the kind of wide history of it. Um, So I'm going to try to the best of my ability to give a very comprehensive but also succinct history of everything because obviously it's a 70 well it's not even 75 years it's centuries millennia long history that we can't possibly sit and kind of go through the entire complexities of in the space of like what 45 minutes um so i'm going to try to just kind of give the main points um firstly i'm going to start with kind of clarifying um the fact that judaism is a ethno religion so it's a little bit of a unique kind of um concept i guess for for like in the wider understanding of ethnicity and religion where they're two separate things you know your your ethnicity is kind of the country and the culture that you're from your religion is the faith system that you adhere to however judaism is what we call an ethno religion where your ethnicity and your religion are both jewish essentially so this story goes all the way back to like the prehistoric times um when um prophet abraham who is the patriarch of judaism um founded or came across the land of canaan and obviously kind of set up shop there like created the the jewish kind of faith and then his grandson jacob then went over to egypt set up his family there centuries of jewish um people were living there obviously then they faced tyranny by the pharaohs and then the prophet moses led them in in their mass exodus from egypt back into canaan and canaan is essentially what we refer to as like an ancient civilization um that housed a number of ancient jewish um you know smaller civilizations and empires and and communities um and that area, like all, all all areas of the world at the time, but I guess particularly that area, um, faced a lot of kind of um, invasion and conquest and, and, and push and pull. You know, empires growing and expanding and, and taking and, and conceding to each other. So I think there was kind of attacks from Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, everything. And as this is going on, as this kind of um, history and this period of like, 
um, war and conquest and all of that is going on, obviously the Jewish people who are on this land are um, they're either like you know changing religions or they're leaving that land to go and settle elsewhere in the in the world until eventually we have the Jewish Roman Wars, which was kind of like saw the mass expulsion of the Jewish population out of Canaan, um, then into the rest of the world, largely kind of Europe, North Africa, and parts of the Arab world, and that is what most historians and most people posit as the creation of the Jewish diaspora. It was that that kind of final expulsion as as a result of the Jewish Roman Wars. The Jewish people then obviously settled, as I said, largely over Europe and North Africa and parts of the Arab world, and that became the Jewish diaspora. And you know, for centuries then, they they kind of this is like two thousand years ago, by the way, that we're talking that that's when the expulsion was. So then, for the past kind of like two thousand years, they've been settled in these lands and they've been living in these lands. However, they always had in their head the idea of returning to their Jewish homeland in the Jewish faith. There's um, this this concept of like the promised land which is essentially a divine promise that god gave to abraham and his descendants and their descendants that you know this land what was historically canaan is kind of their they have a right to it as their like special jewish homeland and that idea the idea of a jewish homeland and the promise of return essentially forms the central tenet of what is zionism Zionism is the political appendage, the political platform of Judaism that basically strives for this Jewish homeland. Now, um, there have been through centuries, the past few centuries, there have been kind of Zionist appeals to various kind of leaders from various areas of the world where the Jewish people were living. And then I think Zionism saw a real rise in the 19th century as uh, as more, more... Um, more time because of a result of um, growing anti-Semitism in kind of, well, largely Europe, obviously other parts of the world as well. Um, And, you know, Zionist leaders were in, you know, talks over a long period of time with Western, with um, like European leaders um, over, okay, where where can we have as our Jewish homeland, basically? Um, and, you know, they went through a process where they were proposing and kind of teasing out ideas of perhaps having, you know, creating Israel in places like Kenya, Uganda, Crimea, Australia, even Cyprus. However, their intended site was always on Palestine because that was their, you know, the historically Canaan, right? And then obviously after the Holocaust, that was kind of like the final like catalyst i would say and then as a result of that the western leaders the un they they essentially then created the jewish state land um which was in 1948 now this seems like a pretty straightforward history like okay they were expelled and they had their historic homeland and then they went back um however that would be it if what now what then became to be israel was just an empty land um, with no one living on it. Unfortunately, it wasn't the case. Um, what actually happened was that the, the land that was given was, um, was was Palestine. So to kind of tell you the other side of the story, we, we go back again into the Iron Ages, 2,000 years ago, where there was a period of like conquest and empires coming in and out and in and out and in and out. There was this kind of drip, drip exodus of Jewish people um, and also a conversion of Jewish people to other faiths, including that of like Christianity and Islam. And basically the kind of 
Zionist historiography says that after the mass exodus, the mass exile of the Jewish people from Canaan, or around the same time was the Arab conquest, like Arab invasions. Um, and as a result of those Arab invasions, obviously they, you know, the Arab people came and they settled on this land and they now are what we know to be Palestinians. So they came there as this conquest, Arab conquest, all the way back in like, you know, the first till the seventh century. However, that's not entirely true. Yes, it's true that there are factions of Palestinian population who have can trace their kind of ancestry back to, um, you know, the Arab conquest and all of that. However, the the what the truth the the full truth what the full picture is that um, there are a number of Jewish people who actually as I say converted to religions such as Christianity and Islam you know following <clears throat> the kind of the exchanges of empire. Um, and a lot of Palestinians today are actually descended from those Jewish people who were who were kind of native to to Canaan all the way kind of two two millennia ago. That's what the history is, right? Yeah, it makes sense because I think even outside of Palestine, in Judaism is the oldest Abrahamic religion, right? And Absolutely. both of them Christianity exactly. and Islam come from so, it. So 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 the way the kind of Zionist historiography is, they kind of make very discrete circles of this history where you actually can't do that. It's not that this was a standalone population and this was a one time event, the Exodus was a one time or a two time event, and then there was like a discrete population that then moved in. It does not happen like that. These changing of demographics, these changing hands of power are in constant flux. They are constantly fluctuating um, and you cannot trace it to be a complete circle in each instance. It doesn't work like that. It's not a simple case of one population left because one population invaded. It's an exchange. You know, these, these cultures and these empires and these demographics and these religions are constantly lending and borrowing and taking and giving to each other. You know, so to be able to draw a discrete circle in that history is very, very inaccurate in the first instance nevertheless it is the case that the vast majority of the jewish people had obviously dispersed across europe and africa and and parts of the arab world and that it was now then a large arab uh, muslim population in in that you know historical canaan land um and they basically fell under the hands of numerous arab empires eventually falling under ottoman rule for a number of centuries and then it brings us into modern history which is now the First World War, where there's a number of native Arab, like Palestinian revolts against the Ottoman rule and the British kind of colony of Egypt nearby. Now, Britain say to the Palestinians, if you lot kick out the Ottomans and you gain your independence, we will honour that independence. And that's exactly what the Palestinians do. They kick out the Ottomans. We see the end of the Ottoman Empire. However, instead of honouring Palestinian independence like the Brits say that, say that they would, instead what they do is they make Palestine their own colony. But before that happens, as I was saying, this is now where those two histories kind of really meet. They're running parallel, they're intertwined and they're running parallel this whole time. And now in 1917 is where they come face to face, this Jewish history and this Arab history. Why? Because in 1917, Britain released what we know to be the Balfour Declaration, which is essentially the British state saying that if 
the Jewish people want Palestine to be their Jewish homeland, then we support that and we will give the resources to help that happen, basically. And this is, as I said, before the Holocaust, even the Holocaust was the kind of final catalyst. It is still during a time of, as I say, anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish pogroms, which are obviously disgusting and abhorrent. So I understand the the kind of Jewish strive for, you know, their own homeland. From what you've said, it does seem that a lot of Zionist sentiment is rooted in ultimately just fear of ethnic cleansing and erasure of the that, Jewish. I think that came to be later on. However, it's more theological because for them it's about it's a God it's it's a covenant that God made sure. with them, basically being exile and then I will give you this homeland. That's 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 sure. central to the Jewish faith. That's kind of where that Jewish idea of a homeland comes from. And then Zionism is the articulation and the ventriloquization of anti-Semitic fears, basically. So in 1917, the British basically stabbed the Palestinians where they say, we'll we'll honour your independence. Actually, what they do is they release the Balfour Declaration. And then in 1922, they officially make Palestine a British colony under the Mandate for Palestine, which was mandated by the League of Nations, which was basically the the kind of the proto-UN before the UN officially came to be. And for 20 years... Then, so between 1922 till 1947, there's this back and forth, back and forth fighting, you know, Arab revolts, British control, blah, 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 blah. In 1947, the British finally kind of announced their intentions to cancel the British mandate for Palestine. And in 1948, they do exactly that. And instead, they create the Israeli nation. Now, obviously you're wondering how does this work how are they now going to take this whole population and put it into this land that is already palestine and there's already people there blah 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 blah. so that's where the un come in and the un create um the partition plan which is essentially they split up this land that was palestine and they create two states the israeli state for the jewish as the jewish homeland and the palestinian state for the population that are all the arab muslim population that are well, largely muslim not entirely population that are already there and what's actually funny is that 62 percent of the land was given to the Israeli state despite the population the number of Palestinians being twice as high as the Jewish population right that was in the UN plan now obviously as a result of that Palestine rejected that 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 proposal that you know it's not fair it's not a equal stratification of land it's not a proportionate stratification of land um the Israeli state ostensibly accepted it i say ostensibly which means to say that they seemed like they accepted it obviously the partition plan like gave them more land um but as a result of that as a result of israel declaring their independence in 1948 there was a number of arab israeli wars because surrounding arab nations um jordan syria egypt lebanon um invaded palestinian land there was the first arab israeli war there was a second arab israeli war um jordan and egypt took control of what was the Palestinian territories. Eventually, after the third Arab-Israeli war, um, I think in 1967, which was known as the Six-Day War, um, Israel regained control of those Palestinian territories. And essentially, that's now what we know to be the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, right? However, in doing so, when they took control, they dishonoured the agreements of the UN partition plan. So basically, not only did they initially have 62% of the land, they then took a further 60%. So 60% of that 40%. Of that, of yeah. that, of that. Yeah. This kind of event marked as what we now know to be the Nakba, which is the kind of 
um, in Arabic, the catastrophe, where 80% of Palestinians, 700,000 Palestinians, fled Palestine um, on the caveat that they're not allowed to return. And to this day, they have not. They have not been able to. Um, and in the same time that this is all happening, in the immediate kind of, in, in the few years before and after and during the, the Israeli independence, equal numbers of Jewish people who formed the diaspora have now moved into Israel. So, so now, basically, what the situation is, there's Palestinian territories, Gaza Strip, West Bank, um, and Israel are basically the administrative power they continue to expand into those territories um and obviously that forms kind of palestinian resistance organizations the biggest one being the palestinian liberation organization um who obviously they're fighting for palestinian self-determination eventually in 1993 the oslo accords are signed which basically allowed them, the Palestinians, to have interim authority over the Gaza Strip and West Bank until a more permanent solution was agreed. So that was kind of the Oslo Accords, what I would say the watershed treaty. Um, and it was supposed to be temporary. It was supposed to be, okay, you guys have interim control over your governments and we're going to think of a more permanent solution. However, a more permanent solution has not been reached. Um, actually, what has happened is a period of occupation that we will kind of now um, go to talk about but as a result of that then Hamas was created in 1987 during the first intifada intifada basically just means uprising and it was a number there have been like um, uh, two three intifadas um, in, in, in Palestinian history from the Palestinian side which is basically uprising the first one was in 1987 where Hamas was created and the second one was between 2000 and 2005 so Hamas come into being in 1987 the genealogy of Hamas is that they were a, a, a Islamic charity essentially and then they became kind of a, a militant group fighting like literally physically fighting for uh, Palestinian independence and then obviously throughout the years they have kind of leaned more and more into Islamist ideologies and then in 2007 Hamas gained complete control over the Gaza Strip so as I said Palestine the Palestinian occupied territories are made up of the Gaza Strip and the West Bank the West Bank is the larger one now that takes us to where we are today. I will go into more detail of the occupation, but essentially that takes us to where we are today. Now, on the 7th of October, a week ago today, um, in a sneak attack, Hamas broke through Gaza's barriers. They took hostages, they attacked military bases and they killed civilians. All the statistics that I'm given have been fact-checked as of like last night, the 13th. 13th of October. So on the 7th of October, Hamas obviously um, had their sneak attack onto Isra um, you know, Israeli civilization and military bases. And the current death toll currently stands at 1,300 Israeli people that were killed. Now, here we interject to say that obviously it goes without saying any loss of civilian life in any conflict by any perpetrator on any side is first and foremost a tragedy even in islamic warfare there are very very specific rules that god gives us that that states the the kind of parameters of war and the indiscriminate death of kind of civilians including women and children is not allowed right so we, we that's 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 a blanket condemnation and and kind of that's where the media frenzy has been right in in this in this media coverage of what has been going on in this war right now 
the media have been absolutely hyper fixated on we need to condemn Hamas, we need to stop Hamas, we need to blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, we've condemned them now. Say, for example, we completely annihilate Hamas and Hamas ceases to exist. That doesn't stop the occupation and that doesn't stop the context in which Hamas came to be. The best way I can explain it is that people are trying to read a story from from the middle of the book. Mm. People are entering this history on chapter 15 out of 30. Say, for example, if I reached over and I smacked Carlos now, everyone at home is going to be like, why on earth did you do that? That's so bad. He's such a victim. However, if I turn around and I say to you, actually, the truth is Carlos has been hitting me, not just with his hand, but with a metal rod every single week. I mean, I think the reaction would be very different. It changes the entire narrative. It changes the whole story, right? That's the bit that we need to focus on. What Hamas did on the 7th of October when they killed all of those civilians was what they believed to be an appropriate retaliation. Now, the appropriate part of that sentiment is what we contest, is what we condemn. We don't believe it's appropriate to just be indiscriminately killing civilians. The retaliation part of it now is actually what people need to focus on and what people are not focusing on. Because once you realise that it was a retaliation, now there's a whole genealogy to this to this war, to this issue, to this conflict. I don't agree with the word conflict, but I'll use it for ease of conversation. Now there's a whole genealogy to it. Now there's a lineage to it. Now you're able to situate it in a historical context. Now it's not just a Hamas woke up one random day and just decided off their own whims that they're just going to murder indiscriminately. That's not what happened. Once again, not to justify it, but that's not the full story. I'm going to speak now about the occupation. So I've obviously spoken about how Israeli came into independence in 1948, how they then, you know, basically became administrators of the Palestinian um, territories officially in 1967. Now, obviously, as I said, they took 60% of that Palestinian land, right? By the way, this is now a, a story of 75 years. You know, when I say that you, like people, the Western media especially, are, are coming in and they're entering the story halfway through, what I'm now going to tell you is that genealogy. And what I'm now going to try to explain to you guys is the 75 years that preceded what happened on the 7th of October. In 1967, when Israel kind of became victorious in the final Arab-Israeli war, they took 60% of Palestinian land and claimed it as Israel. That goes against the agreements of the UN partition plan, which already saw them have a disproportionate amount of land in the first place. Gaza Strip, to this day, is one of the most densely populated places on Earth, with around 2 million people crammed in a 140 square mile territory. 70% of them come from displaced people from 1948. Nearly 50%, or I think it might just be over 50% of Gazans are children, are under 18. That's 1 million people who are currently living under Gaza are under 18. I think I saw a percentage that was like 48% are under 14. So like, especially Children, young, babies, yeah. babies, not just under 18, babies, right? Cool. There is a ongoing sea, air, land blockade of Gaza Strip and the West Bank by Israel and Egypt. Gazans are forbidden from leaving Gaza. Gazans are forbidden from operating any airport or any seaport from Gaza. Israel restricts the entry and the exit of goods. Israel controls the Palestinian population registry 
and Palestinian infrastructure. So there's routine bombings because this is an ongoing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then they'll bomb Gaza and the West Bank to the ground. And then they will not allow for materials to pass through the Gazan border in order to rebuild infrastructure. So it's it's a bomb site, essentially. It's just one big bomb site. There is basically little to no travel between the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip and the West Bank are basically separated territories, even though they are supposed to be considered as one territorial unit. And Israel, because they control both territories, they do not allow any freedom of movement between the two territories. They do not allow anyone from the Gaza Strip to the West Bank and vice versa. Under the Oslo Accords, they are supposed to be considered one territorial unit but they're completely separated. So now Palestinians in the West Bank who have family members in the in the Gaza Strip, they can't see them. There's people who haven't seen their their brothers, their spouses, their parents, their children because Israel is, does not allow for freedom of movement. Israel is control of the healthcare system, the education system, the commercial industry, the like every single industry, the the employment industry everything right israel promised 2000 work permits for gazans to work in israel but actually they only issued somewhere in the region of like 9000 and even then freedom in and out like what what little movement there is in and out of those borders is heavily heavily restricted those checkpoints and we will come to talk about that kind of violence later on so, but once again, these are not this. This is not my telling of the story. These are factual. The UN states that there are eighty-one percent of Gazans who are currently living in poverty, with sixty-three percent suffering from food insecurity. Bearing in mind that we've just said forty-eight percent of Gazans are under fourteen, over fifty percent of them children. Um, water consumption by Israel is at least four times that of the Palestinians in the occupied territories. So, Israel has water for swimming pools to water their plants to water their lawns to make water fountains whereas palestinians get only the amount of water that israel allows them to have which is restricted there are 48,488 palestinian homes that have been demolished by illegal settlements compared to zero Israeli homes that have been demolished by Palestine. Uh, by the way, they don't have any institutional power. They don't have any, um, like, official military. They don't They don't have any of that. Whatever, they are technically a nation state. The UN recognises Palestine as a nation state. But all the things that make a nation state, Palestine do not have. They don't have a formalised institutionally recognized government with any real institutional power they don't have a military they don't have any access in uh, to in and out of their territories whether it's by land or by sea or by air and they don't even have control of their own territories right there are 6279 palestinian political prisoners compared to zero israeli political prisoners this by the way is before the 7th of october i'm trying to give you the kind of the 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 context the story i'm setting the landscape for what led to the 7th of october um so there are over 65 laws that discriminate against palestinians and there are over 593 israeli checkpoints and roadblocks heavily restricting movement in and out of any of the palestinian territories um the employment rate is 47 percent and access to clean water and, and electricity remains inaccessible at crisis levels now i say crisis levels because that is the wording used by the human rights watch a, a, a universal organization 
a little bit more context. Um, when we say that Israel have taken Palestinian land and they're expanding into Palestinian land is what we call settler colonialism. I'm sure everyone knows that what colonialism is. It's kind of like a, a foreign entity <clears throat> coming over, seizing control of a territory and population that basically isn't theirs. Settler colonialism is when the colonizer then settles on that land, on, on the colony land that they've seized. And as I say, there have been a number, I'll tell you the figure in a bit, there have been a number of Israeli illegal, as in like the internationally illegal settlements on Palestinian land. And obviously that then causes the demolition of Palestinian homes, the displacement of Palestinian people. Um, and as a result of it, what we have seen is unimaginable settler violence. So the Israelis that are coming in and, and, and settling in, in these settlements, um, they have enacted a system, a whole apparatus of settler violence. The UN, there's a UN report that found that the annual rate of settler attacks has almost quadrupled between 2006 and 2014. That was the most recent figure I could find. I'm sure it's it's way more now. That's a small indication of what has been proliferating over the years. The Human Rights Watch reports on physical violence against Palestinians by settlers, including, and I quote in brackets because I'm reading from their report, frequently stoning and shooting at Palestinian cars. In many cases, settlers abuse Palestinians in front of Israeli soldiers or police with little interference from the authorities. There is a Israeli organisation that basically documents Israeli kind of violence against the Palestinian. Um, it's called BT Salem. It's basically B Committee Salem. If anyone wants to go, they have like figures, facts, everything, statistics. So they say <clears throat> that settler actions include, and again, I quote, blocking roadways so as to impede Palestinian life and commerce. The settlers also shoot solar panels on roofs of buildings. They torch automobiles, shatter window panes and windshields, destroy crops, uproot trees, abuse merchants and owners of stalls in the market. Some of these actions are intended to force Palestinians to leave their homes and farmland and thereby enable the settlers to gain control of them. Now, the UN report has found that roughly 10 to 11,000 Palestinians have been killed since 2000 as a result of this conflict. And the comparison is that between one thousand to one thousand five hundred israelis have been killed and this is not including the recent fatalities by the way so this is before 7th of october since 2000 so that's not even going all the way back to 1948 and all the arab israeli wars that's just since 2000 between 10 to 11 thousand palestinians and one to one and a half thousand israelis now the united nation describes the occupied territory as a i quote chronic humanitarian crisis Amnesty International have called it, I quote, rampant discrimination that Israel have inflicted immense suffering on Palestinians, depriving them of their basic rights. The UN also states, and I quote, from 2012 to 2022, the population of Israeli settlers in the occupied West Bank, including East Jerusalem, had grown from 5,200,000 to over 700,000. These settlers lived illegally in 279 Israeli settlements across the occupied West Bank, including 14 settlements in occupied East Jerusalem, with a total population of more than 229,000 people. And at least... 147 of these settlements were outposts, which means that they are illegal even under Israeli domestic law. The international community considers this establishment of Israeli settlements in the occupied territories to be illegal 
on the basis that they are violating Article 49 of the Fourth Geneva Convention. So this is not my opinion. This is this is international law. The UN report further documents um, correlation between settler expansion and settler settler violence against the Palestinian people. In the past decade, the UN had verified. 3,372 violent incidents by settlers, injuring 1,222 Palestinians. Last year, settler violence reached the highest levels ever recorded by the UN, and Israel has failed to investigate and prosecute crimes against those settlers. Now, that's kind of where... That was that was a lot. That was a lot to keep up with. And by the way, guys, this is like... This is still surface level. Everything that I have said is still very surface level. If you actually look... So what this is, is apartheid, right? For those of you who don't know, apartheid is basically um, a kind of system in which on the same land, there's two demographics of people and both demographics are living under two systems, two political systems, two judicial systems, two moral systems. And that's what the Palestinian territories have been made by Israel. It's apartheid where the Israeli people on the Israeli land and even in the on the occupied Palestinian lands are able to enjoy freedom of movement. All is all Jewish people from across the world, whether they are practicing Jewish or not, simply need some kind of distant ancestry to you know a, a Jewish person. They have what we call birthright citizenship. They have the right to return to Israel. They have passports. They can come and go anytime out of Israel. It's a thriving economy. Meanwhile, Palestine, on the same land that is administered by Israel, as I just explained, are living in absolute dire humanitarian crisis, as stated. Like the the the, the UN and Amnesty have called it unlivable conditions. Various human rights um, reports have called it have called Gaza a open air prison, which is exactly what it is. They cannot leave. They do not control their own destiny. It is what you call an open-air prison. It is the single-handedly largest open-air prison in the world. None of this is my opinion. None of this is my own reflection. None of this is my own sentiment. Everything that I have just told you for the last 10 minutes is fact. These are verified by the UN, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, various human rights organizations across the world. That, that's basically been the situation on the ground for, for Palestinians, for Gazans at large. So that's the context, really. That's the context that led to the 7th of October. That's, the Gazans have been living under siege. They have been living under a system of apartheid and it is genocide. It is genocide where you have a whole demographic of people who you are systematically displacing and murdering. That is what we call genocide. Mm -hmm. And it has been an ongoing system of genocide since the creation of the Israeli state. And I think that, is, like I say, it's been ongoing. And for anyone that's wanted to actually go and like see it for themselves it's very obvious but now the past week obviously more attention has been drawn to this area to this issue and yet we are now seeing e even more plain sight is that like like completely unafraid unashamed like oh they've just completely up, up yeah. the ante now like it's, it's and we'll discuss this we'll discuss this but essentially what i really wanted to do was paint the picture of what has been going on for the past 75 years for those of you who are 
have opened the page in the middle of the book and think that what Hamas did on the 7th of October was just a completely, um, you know, unprovoked attack. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing unprovoked, mm. right? I'm seeing that, I'm, I'm hearing Western media report it as this was a completely unprovoked attack. No, it wasn't. As we said, we don't believe it was appropriate. We don't justify the, the killing of civilians. But to say that it was unprovoked is a fallacious lie. It is a retaliation. Whether or not you think it's it's acceptable or appropriate, you cannot deny the fact that it is a retaliation to 75 years of ongoing settler colonialism, of apartheid, of genocide, of ethnic cleansing. So the conversation I want to have now, right, is, okay, we've stood here and repeatedly we've said, we don't condone what Hamas have done. We don't condone the loss of civilian life on either side. So what now? What now? And that's the thing that people aren't... That's the conversation that needs to be had and that people aren't having. Say tomorrow you completely annihilate Hamas to the ground. Hamas needs to exist. The the, the settler colonialism is still going on. The genocide is still going on. Apartheid is still going on. So what now? You know, and and I want to talk kind of... Now I want to talk about Hamas, right? Let's talk about Hamas. I hate the fact that we have to sit here and we have to now quantify and compare and blah, 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 blah. But we have to. We have to because the narrative is wrong and the narrative is false and the narrative uh, mandates the further genocide of the Palestinian people. So as a result of that, we have to sit here now and we have to talk numerically. The loss of Palestinian life over the past 75 years has been seismically much higher than the loss of Israeli life. And yes, every one of those one and a half thousand lives that that were civilians is a, is 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 a tragedy. However, to 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 act as though it's on the same playing field as 10 to 11,000 Palestinian lives is insane. It's crazy. People acting as though there's any kind of symmetry between the Palestinian resistance, whether it's the PLO, whether it's Hamas and the IDF and the Israeli state is insane and it is statistically inaccurate. Firstly, because Hamas only came about in 1987. That's 40 years. That's almost 40 years after the creation of the Israeli state. That's 40 years of Israel settling and expanding into Palestinian land and, and brutalizing and terrorizing Palestinian people. In those 40 years, the Palestinian people had attempted to reach political agreement. They had attempted to reach a negotiations and, and people keep saying, well, you know, Hamas shouldn't be in operation because we should be reaching a, a peaceful political, you know, agreement. There should be a peaceful political avenue. What peaceful political avenue are you talking about? It was 40 years of back and forth and back and forth of being brutalized and being terrorized until Hamas came into creation. The point at which Hamas was created, the Palestinian people had already exhausted all political avenues. And I say this again, if tomorrow Hamas are annihilated, what becomes of the Palestinian cause? What becomes of the Palestinian cause for liberation? Because we've seen already that peaceful protesting, that peaceful lobbying, that political lobbying has not worked and is continuing to not work. Israel, who cannot even adhere to the, the very terms of their own creation, who cannot even honour the borders 
that 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 saw their creation you think they're the ones that are going to be wanting to do peaceful negotiations none of this was fair from the beginning from the very beginning when the brits said to the palestinians that hey we'll honor your we'll honor your um your independence if you if you oust the ottoman empire the palace the palestinians did the heavy work they bore the brunt of that of that of that expulsion of the ottomans they it was their cost right and it should be their independence. We need to sit and we need to think what the Palestinian people have actually gone through from from, from the past century. The past century, whether it is the British people lying to them and then taking their land and putting, making them a Palestinian colony to then administrating land that does not even belong to the Brits. This idea of peaceful negotiation is a fallacy at this point. It doesn't exist. It would be nice and ideal but this is a 75 year history and again this is not in any way condoning killing of innocent civilians it's more like it's the reality of occupation and it's the reality of revolution and it's the reality of liberation there's this thing called the dynamics of asymmetric conflicts right there there are a number of kind of war, war historians really that have spoken about this and it's the dynamics of asymmetric conflict is basically this idea that it's it's, it's in the context of colonial history and colonial theory where the colonizer so far outweighs the power of the colonized that the colonized therefore has no other means to resist other than violence and we see that to speak further on this idea this fallacy of the symmetry between Hamas and, and the Palestinian forces versus Israel to give you guys a little bit of context and once again this is fact Israel has the 15th largest military spending in the world they have one of the most sophisticated military defences and military equipment in the world. They are currently recipient of $3.8 billion in military aid from the US a year. With this recent war, the US have pledged a further $8 billion. By the way, that's why we cannot call it a conflict where one side is disproportionately much more powerful than the other side. You cannot call that a conflict. Not only do Israel have billions and billions and billions of pounds more to spend on the military, not do they have a far more sophisticated and resourceful military than any Palestinian force, whether it's Hamas or not. What people don't realise as well when they're talking about the symmetry is that Gaza, in particular, is not a, a state. These are not state actors. When we think about war, we're thinking about state actors. We're thinking about one country in war with another country. That is not what is happening here. Gaza is not a country. Gaza is a prison. Gaza is a 1400 square mile territory that is blocked off from every single entry and exit point that you can possibly imagine that where there is no and I repeat no freedom of movement no entry of anything without Israeli permission that is not a state actor that is people fighting for their own independence and we can all sit here and bemoan Hamas and we have we really truly have but what then? The thing is, as well, like you just said about how massive Israel's military spending is, how much their resources are. I mean, as well, this isn't to suggest anything. I'm just saying I I myself am also shocked that what happened on the 7th of October was even able to happen considering like the amount do you know, and do you know what it is and do you know what's crazy as well like and once again like i'm not 
this is not to condone anything that Hamas have done, but speaking factually, speaking factually, Israel, when they attacked, they have sophisticated fighter jets. Hamas, when they attacked, they were using hand gliders. Mm. They were using hand gliders. Like the 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 visible difference in capability and resource is crazy. It's crazy. Not to condone what they've done, but it's crazy. Yeah. But it's like also now we're in this situation where obviously as of the 14th of October, um, I believe it was yesterday, Israel has told um, 1.1 million civilians in North Gaza that they need to evacuate and go to Southern Gaza um, within 24 hours. That that really compounds this idea of this asymmetry, right? Mm. Pa- uh, Hamas did what they did. 1,300 people dead. There's, there's, just, there's, there's no way to justify that. Cool. Israel now, the death toll of of, of Gazans is, I think, at 2,000 last time I checked, nearly at 2,000, with over 500 of them being children. They have also completely cut off um, electricity, water, food to this this place. Um, They are literally bombing densely populated civilian areas they're bombing hospitals they're bombing ambulance convoys there have been a number of humanitarian workers that have been killed a number of journalists that have been killed who are attempting to 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 report live from the gaza strip um and they have yesterday or the day before said to 1.1 million gazans in the north of gaza evacuate to the south in 24 hours the un have said this will lead humanitarian disaster humanitarian disaster that's the quote-unquote that's they're saying the un humanitarian disaster and by the way by the way not that it's just impossible but the but however many of the gardens that then actually did try to make that flee israelis then bombed them on their way they told the gardens leave the north move to the south and as these people are going to the south they're being bombed exactly it's like even if you were to ever think okay this is a viable option you would expect okay maybe for those 24 hours it's a ceasefire or whatever it's like and the the way that the media are reporting on this the kind of rhetoric that has been coming out is absolutely disgusting i'm talking about uh, israeli leaders coming out and saying we're gonna annihilate the palestinians Mm. they've called them human animals Bearing in mind, 50% of who they're talking about are children. They're calling them human animals. We've seen history repeat itself over and over and over again. Was it not the Jewish people that were referred to in exactly the same way as cockroaches and rodents that then mandated, that created a public appetite for the Holocaust? Is that not exactly how that happened? To make no mistakes about it, to come forth on a global stage and call a population of people human animals, what you are doing is stripping them of their humanity. You are dehumanizing them so as to mandate and make space for their annihilation, for their genocide, because these are not human beings. We are also seeing as well both high members of the Israeli state and also the Western media implying that palestinians basically equate to hamas um literally um their own president was quote unquote said it's not true this rhetoric about civilians not being aware not involved it's absolutely not true they could have risen up they could have fought against that evil regime that took over gaza my friend you are the evil regime you are they can't even fight against it's, you you're asking them to quiet. fight against hamas it's just
just quite ironic. I was like, oh, they could have risen up against him. No, so. let's. Let, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this concept of civilian, right? Because because the, the 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 Western media have allowed for this Israeli leader to come on come on this global stage and call Palestinians human animals. They're not civilians. They're not worthy of the sanctity of life. They are not worthy of protection. They're not worthy of any aid. Um, why? Because they belong to the land that Hamas operates, right? So let's talk about this concept of of what a civilian actually is and how to actually apply it to, to this situation. As we've said, more than 50% of, of Gazans currently are under 18. 42% of them are under 14 years old. They're not. These are not the ones that are up in arms. These kids are not the ones that are up in arms. And yet they're the ones that are, that are conflated with Hamas. These children are the ones that are supposed to be Hamas. However, over in Israel, they have mandatory conscription, Right which is basically every adult has to serve in the Israeli military, the IDF, the, the Israeli Defense Forces, unless you're a conscientious objector, in which case you get put to jail. Regardless, the vast majority of, of, of Israeli adults either are currently or have served in the Israeli military. Are they then not veterans? From like, that perspective, though, why you said if they're consci- conscientious objector, they go to jail, are we, like, then grouping them, though? Because like, obviously if it's, like, jail or you commit these atrocious acts... Can we expect all of them to conscientiously? Absolutely, object? because it's not just like it's not just like a it's 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 not a military that's just kind of like you know benignly working. And this is another thing that I wanted to bring up. Right? Is 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 when we talk about the kind of reality of the Israeli people and the reality of the Palestinian people. It's the Palestinians that are presented to be terrorists. They're the ones that are seen to be conflated and aligned with Hamas, which is obviously factually completely incorrect. But it's the Israelis. It's their everyday life is predicated and sustained by this absolutely disgusting, abhorrent, violent apparatus of apartheid and genocide, right? So to kind of make out as though, like, there's any integrity to going and fighting in the IDF or living in Israel, even though you might not necessarily agree with it, it's ridiculous because it's not just that the IDF is kind of, oh, they're a neutral evil. No, they are this. What is going on in Palestine right now is one of the most brutal and one of the most persevering examples of imperialism and genocide that history has ever seen, statistically speaking. Right. So, for those Israelis who are living in the land of Israel, under the state of Israel, who are serving in the Israeli Defense Forces, who then want to turn around and be like, no, we're completely innocent, and and even even in some instances distance themselves from the actions of the Israeli, Israeli state, how are you going to do that when the everydayness of your life, the kind of everyday quality of your life is literally predicated on the systematic genocide of the Palestinian people? That's a that's a logical conundrum. You cannot reconcile. And again, we're not saying that these people that they should then be killed. We're not saying that. We're just saying that they can't say that. Yeah, they're they're not exactly. We're not saying we're not saying that that then mandates their murder. Absolutely not. But what what we're doing is we're discussing the concept of civilian. We're discussing the concept of innocence. Guilt doesn't mean that you should be killed. However, to discuss this concept of innocence within the Israeli demographic. I don't. I. Don't, I personally don't see how 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 you could live in this in, in the Israeli state, knowing it's a system of apartheid, serving the Israeli forces, knowing that they're literally k- killing Palestinians en masse, and then try to separate yourself from that. Well, I think this is the kind of take that the West has been taking on it as well. And actually, <laughs> it's a little sidebar. Um, 
how are you feeling about watching Stranger Things season five? Oh man, I'm so <laughs> like, upset. Again, ab- so there upset. is absolutely nothing wrong with actor Noah Schnapp coming out and saying, "I um, <clears throat> my heart breaks for the, the, civilians. the civilians. That's of fine. Yes, of course. Yeah, but the fact that he ended his statement saying that you either stand with Israel or you stand with terrorism." is in my opinion in, is incorrect. It's, it's incorrect it's just incorrect and that's not no it's not an opinion yeah. it's not an opinion how how do we define terrorism sorry the, the actual dictionary definition the internationally legally ratified definition of terrorism is violence to obtain a political means is that not is not is that not exactly what the israeli state has been predicated on is that yeah. not exactly what the israeli state has been sustained on for the past 75 yeah. years I mean, to I think with I imagine with Noah is that obviously he's quite young and he probably hasn't properly actually done. He probably, no, but he that's hasn't, exactly he hasn't it. To Mango Masala on well, the history well, of it, so. well, that's exactly it. I want to talk a little bit now about kind of <clears throat> the reporting of this issue. I've said before how um, the vast majority of people are opening this book in the middle of the, in you know uh, in the middle of the book and are not getting a complete picture and therefore it's very easy if all you know of this war of this issue is that Hamas have attacked and indiscriminately killed 1300 Israelis of course if all you've seen is that you know Hamas have indiscriminately murdered you know Israeli people in this sneak attack then and you don't know anything else you don't know the history you don't know the context you're going to think that the Palestinians are the bad guys and the media is taking advantage of this. Now, I'm going to be completely, completely honest here. What we're seeing now is weaponized Islamophobia. To kind of break this down, um, I've spoken about how Israel have called Palestinians human animals. And it's a sentiment that has been reiterated basically by the vast majority of Western leaders. I think, in fact, maybe all Western leaders save like island um and you know all all the western leaders are coming forward and saying you know we we stand with israel we we support and this is what is so funny we support israel's right to defend itself i mean literally if you scroll back on our instagram this is literally the conversation that we had two years ago about why that's exactly just, it's not it true is an inane it's not statement. exactly exactly but that's the line that's being fed to everyone and everybody is believing it why because the West already have a very sturdy laurel to rest on when it comes to Islamophobia. Just to provide quick context as well, in case you haven't seen that clip, we are not saying that Israel needs to stand there and just take whatever Hamas, for example, throws at them. We're not saying that. What we are saying is that it's what we were discussing before about this complete asymmetry between these two forces. And also the history of the context. Like To say that Israel is the one acting in self-defense is wrong because they they the ones that created this, this, this war. They are the people who completely dishonored any agreements of their creation. They are the ones who have been expanding into Palestinian territory. They are the ones who have enacted a genocide, settler colonialism, apartheid. Palestinians are the ones that are resisting. They are the ones that have the right to, to, to defend themselves because they are the victims in this. Listen to this. Hamas did what they did, right? And that's it. They can't touch Israel anymore. They did what they did and they expended all their efforts, all their resources. They're still fighting, but they can't touch Israel. Israel, within 24 hours, have blocked electricity, have blocked power, have blocked internet, have blocked food, have blocked water, have blocked any international aid going in and out of Gaza. 
And is yeah. that what you call symmetry? Yeah, exactly. It's like what happened on the 7th of October should have received the attention that it got because obviously civilian lives have been lost. It's a tragedy. But what we've seen in the week afterwards, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think you kind of avoid the news a bit more than I do. But from what I've been seeing, every single headline has been um, about so-and-so has happened to Israel or even the distinguishment between so many Israelis killed, so many Palestinians have dead died. Or dead. Right, exactly, like, exactly. So this is what I was talking about. I was talking about this 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 media presentation of, of what's going on, you know, with this war um, where there have been obviously decades of Islamophobia that has now reached kind of a global level and the West are really relying on that and we see that in the way that they're reporting on these crimes. They're literally using racist, Islamophobic, anti-Arab tropes to basically peddle lies actual lies guys so there there basically was these widespread claims that in in the 7th of october attacks hamas were trigger warning sexual violence that hamas were basically raping israeli women on mass that that statement has since been un, since been established to be unsubstantiated there's no materiality to it no one can prove it there've been no credible sources that have said that there have also been a story where apparently once again extreme violence i'm going to be talking about here guys that hamas have basically ripped open the belly of a pregnant woman this is actually a story that happened to a palestinian woman at the hands of israeli forces and now this is being peddled as 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 a tragedy onto the Israeli people. I mean that is it's just like the peak. That is just yeah. you say it's peak, but it continues, guys. President Biden, mm. arguably the most the, the the most powerful leader in the world of the most powerful state in the world, has reported to have seen yeah. images and, and videos of Hamas apparently beheading children. Exactly. It wasn't even the fact that he came out and said like... I've oh, heard. They, or they, they, they've done this. It's like, I have just I've seen, seen it. He yeah. said, I have seen it. And guess what? It was the IDF themselves that then turned around and said it was a lie. This did not happen. Yeah, the White House had to come out and retract the statement. But can you imagine? Imagine they had not come forward and said that this was a lie. And that, that lie would have been peddled to the rest of the world. It would have infuriated the world. And it would therefore have mandated and sustained the continued killing of Palestinians. Well, this is the thing. I mean, even as someone myself who firmly stands with Palestinian um, liberation and I think what Israel is currently doing um, in retaliation or has been doing is horrific, the fact that these stories have come out and the fact that there's so much out there, photos circulating of, like, blurred pictures. I, even now, even after I've seen multiple infog infographics stating that the beheading of babies for example yep. and that is is false i'm still struggling like even now i'm like oh well, trying to shake that yeah, off no, because no, no, no but i'm also like well should i be saying like well it hasn't been confirmed because like yeah do, do you know what i mean because like the fact that it's come out in the first place but i'm like because that I mean? is such yeah. a uniquely harrowing thing to behead babies it's like it's like if you said to someone what is literally the most the most inhumane violence like de depraved yeah. thing you can possibly think of taking advantage of the most innocent life and and yeah. that's and not just that in the most violent way yeah. to behead babies 
You know, it's just so absurd. It's so absurd, but it's something that they know that is going to really trigger. Trigger. Exactly. And it's a complete lie. And, and and we only know that now because of the way that social media circulates news. Can you imagine how many more lies have been told about the Palestinian people en masse and as a result have, have, have allowed for the killing? And that's not it, by the way. That's not even that's not even the full picture. There was one particular story of a German girl who was kind of yeah. taken and apparently massacred and raped at at the 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 um, music festival. festival that got attacked. She's alive. Not only is she alive, she's being treated in a, a, a Gazan hospital by Hamas. And, and and this is not even the worst of it now. This is not even the worst of it. Not only is Western media now, you know, presenting these lies about Palestine, they're now even reappropriating, they're hijacking the Palestinian plight itself. I have seen numerous celebrities using pictures of <clears throat> what is essentially... Palestinian suffering and and claiming it to be so like Justin Bieber yeah made a post one of the most influential celebrities in the world has made a post stand with Israel and the background is a photo of Gaza that has been bombed to the ground mm-hmm. it's Gaza that has been bombed to the ground and they're pretending that's Israel mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. posted a picture of um Palestinian children pretending that it's Israeli children saying terror from the skies. It's basically Palestinian children looking up at the missiles being dropped on them, basically. Well, I don't think she I don't think she pretended. I my take my I think what's happened here is she posted that picture like, oh this is terrible. The thing is Sorry, then, not pretended, no, but, I mean no, like under the guise yeah, yeah. of But the thing is she then was told those are actually Palestinian children. And she kept it on. No but no she didn't no she didn't I think she deleted oh, it. Oh did she delete it? That, I that, she that's kept it on. Is, it's worse. Because oh, she's gosh. like literally the moment someone oh, tells you it's Palestinian and, children. And, and the thing is is that it was that image that was evoking a certain response, right? Mm. It was the image that was, forget the conflict, forget the history, forget the politics. It's that very image because it's true. No matter what side you stand on, innocent children to be having to look up at missiles being dropped on them is in any belief system, under any ideology, under any politics, it's just completely abhorrent and disgusting and heartbreaking. But that's the case. That's exactly what that image conveys. It conveys that children are being looked up at missiles that are being dropped on them, except they are Palestinian children. So what, are they not worthy of sanctification? Are their lives not matter? I've just checked. The photo's been deleted. Surely if you... you, you, If that's the image that you've seen and it's disgusting to you, you, why is it... it, Because it's not Israel, you can't come forward and say it. Because it's true, it's happening to Palestinian people. It doesn't matter what you feel about Palestine. It's happening to Palestinian children. That's a fact. You've seen it with your own eyes, but you won't post it and you won't stand for them because, because you're whatever reason it is. You know, so 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 yeah. this is this is really the the kind of political landscape that we're dealing with. This is really the kind of the reality of the situation that we're dealing Even, with. Have you seen? Obviously, again to point out this asymmetry um, of like in terms of resources, have you seen Israel and the um, adverts? Oh. Don't even, don't even. Israel has been placing adverts. I don't know how they've managed to pay YouTube to get this done. Oh, come but on. basically they've placed adverts on videos that are meant for kids yeah. so that obviously the advert will come up and it's basically 
um, a lo- obviously again a load of emotive language. I think it actually references the forty babies. Actually, no, yeah, uh, it literally yeah. says you do en- just like you do anything to protect your children. We do anything to protect ours. Stand yeah. with the idea. Yeah, it's like we we know that your kid can't read this, but you can. So hug your baby and stand, stand with, with us. Idea. Like yeah. it's just the most abhorrent propaganda that I literally saw that and I thought like is this an episode of Black Mirror I cannot fathom that this is actually where we're at right now but you know it's not it's not just to talk about the kind of asymmetry in the in the in the violence and the oppression that have been faced by the Palestinians for the past 75 years it's now that even the coverage of it there's no justice for them I mean even like talking about the British response to this on both sides I've been quite I can't I can't engage I, you know what I'm not voting in the next election well I'm not voting in the next election like this for me has completely radicalised me it has completely radicalised me like for those of you I'm going to give a little bit of personal context like the Israeli occupation of Palestine was one of the first political kind of causes that radicalised me as a child I actually looked on my social media the other day and the first post I made about free uh, free Palestine was over 12 years ago in 2011 when I was 14 years old and it's for the past 12 plus years I've been living life and I've experienced so much of life and Palestine remains under occupation and it's now at a point where I denounce I I, I am as a British citizen I denounce our government They, they do not represent me and I'm not voting do you not not think that we need to vote for the lesser of two evils the one that has the most potential for then change to be operated through i I, mean, I do not see any difference i do not see at this point i do not see any difference between Keir Starmer and 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 rishi sunak and and ultimately ultimately something as this which is which is like foundational right like uh, an an issue like this is is points to very foundational cause and foundational beliefs right and by the way like don't get it wrong even though you know, this is a distinctly Palestinian cause, and that includes Palestinian Christians, Palestinian Jews, Palestinian atheists, by the way, people think it's just Muslims, it includes all of those groups of people. The kind of rhetoric has surrounded around kind of Muslims versus Jews, Arabs versus Israelis. Um, And as I said, the West and Israel have weaponized Islamophobia, right? So the Muslim world is having a very different reaction to this, I think, than maybe non-Muslim people are. Because we can see and we can see that there is a certain treatment of the Palestinian people that is allowed to happen by the rest of the world precisely because they are majority Muslim, you know? So for me as a Muslim, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking the government that is supposed to represent me does not, this, this part of my identity renders me worthless to them. For context as well, if you haven't seen what's happened, so in terms of both the um, our government and the opposition, um, our government has very firmly, quote-unquote, stood with Israel to the point of obviously offering aid and support yep. and, um, like, obviously brandishing Israel's flag everywhere. Um, and then, obviously, what's been, for me personally, more disappointing has been the opposition when interviewed both oh, um, Keir Starmer and, uh, I think it's Emily Thornberry, refused to actively condemn um, the w- actual definition of war crime yep. that Israel has no, not committed. The, not, not only, no, Keir Starmer didn't just 
uh, failed to condemn. He supported it. He said, yeah, he said Israel has a right to defend itself. Then the reporter asked him, oh, even though that means um, cutting off food and supplies and electricity, he says, oh, yeah, I think it's all yeah, should be able to defend themselves. Over you know, it, gave yeah. a very politician's answer, but essentially said, "Yeah, I believe they should be able to defend it's themselves." Just, yeah, but in collective poli- punishment, as it's called, is literally yes, it's, it's a war re- crime. Recognized as a war crime, and it is just sad because I do think that the reason why Keir Starmer and Emily Thornberry are probably acting the way they're doing is because they're so conscious of the fact that anti-Semitism has been a problem within the Labour Party before and they're so... No, I think that, honestly, I think that's giving them too much credit. Keir Starmer has never, in my opinion, had any political integrity. He has never, ever, ever had any integrity as a politician, as a man with any Labour ideals. I I don't Mm. think this is simply because he's walking around yellow tape or red tape. He is very firmly on that side of history. He ideologically believes in what is going on here. I just here. don't understand how... You could well, be a human he, rights yeah, lawyer. he literally knows that that's a It's a facade of Western liberalism, though. That's exactly what this is, and that's exactly what this is showing, which is another thing that is coming out of this war. The facade of Western liberalism. The same people who will tout liberty and equality and freedom for all. Academics as well, journalists who, who will, you know, look back on the horrors of colonialism and be like, that was a harrowing time. That should never have happened will now come forward and say, oh, poor Israel, they have a right to defend themselves. It's ideologically contradictory. It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's just so harrowing because what we're seeing now is a genocide in real time. People sit there and when we discuss the past, we say like, oh my God, how was empire allowed to happen? How was apartheid in South Africa allowed to happen? How was the Holocaust allowed to happen? This is exactly how. This is exactly how. People, the the media class, like absolutely brainwashing people, people allowing their fears to be weaponized, allowing themselves to, 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 to hate and to stereotype a whole group of people to the point of dehumanization that then mandates their extinction. The same way that people are talking about the Palestinians, do you not think they was talking about the Jewish people like that, that back in the Holocaust times? And I say that not just as a rhetoric. This is not a customary invocation of pathos on my behalf. I'm talking about actual look at the history of it when they're referring to them as vermin and animals. That's exactly the tactic that was used by Nazis exactly the tactic that was used by Nazis to present the Palestinian Liberation Forces, whether that's Hamas or otherwise, as terrorists. Was it not Nelson Mandela that was on the on, on um, the US's terrorist list? Mm. He was, it's a he fact. in prison for like, what, 27, 27 years? 27 years. They criminalised yeah. a man for 27 years and at the end of it, when he had, in fact, you know, helped to win this victory, then they celebrated him. And that's exactly what's going on. That's exactly what's going on. And for me personally, like I have been like, it's not even about me. I have been absolutely beside myself this past week looking at the at the coverage. Every single time I'm logging on, it's something else. It's something else. It, Israel have, 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 have launched a complete indiscriminate attack on, on, on the Gaza Strip and Palestinians at large from every single angle and every single way with the full backing of the majority of Western leaders in the world and they are not looking to slow down anytime soon. This is the thing, like, the response that would have been ideal, in my opinion, from West would have been, this has happened to Israel, okay, our deeper sympathies of what's happened, we will obviously 
um, help you in whatever way you actually need in order to um, essentially bring justice to the people that um, have actually done this. That's not... But, but this would be ideal. Yeah. But also let's have a think about why this has happened and we've all kind of been ignoring it for the past 60 70 years maybe this is a sign that we probably do need to rethink this yeah look listen make no qualms about this and this is this is maybe like the big the last big final thing that i want to say on this topic make no qualms about this um fallacy of western intervention and western interventionism is an absolute farce the same country that created israel that that backstabbed the Palestinian people, that made Palestine a colony when they... I'm talking about Britain, by the way. The same Britain that made Palestine a colony when they said they would give their freedom, that then gave away Palestinian land without actually consulting or ratifying things from the Palestinian people, um, that then continues to this day arm and 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 have diplomatic relationships with Israel they will not be the people to stop Israel the same united states of america that sends currently 3.8 billion dollars in aid to israel they will not be the one to stop israel because it's not just even within israel and palestine that israel is um carrying out this sort of thing is it it's like um all over the middle east even in yep. like south america yep. as well isn't it yep israel as i said um you know they they supported and aided the indian occupation of kashmir they aided the south african apartheid they um they they were the ones that supported isis in syria like you know when people keep conflating like hamas with like islamist terrorism which okay yes admittedly over the years it has leaned into those kind of ideologies but that's not that's not the genius of Hamas that's not that's not where Hamas started from um and people keep saying Hamas is ISIS ergo Palestine is, is ISIS my friend it was Israel that was backing ISIS and arming ISIS in Syria didn't Hamas hate ISIS or they uh, didn't like they each other? fought yeah. exactly like that's that's it's 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 there's so many myths there's so many myths and i want to talk about this idea of western interventionism why because israel is a western creation right and this is where the kind of this is where the conversation is very deep and i'm not going to say i have all of the answers i don't but i have a number of contemplations okay people think that this issue is kind of like a muslim versus jewish issue and an arab versus israeli issue and blah that's what it's been made to be actually if you look theologically right say for example this um jewish you know c- c- uh, belief of the the jewish the right to the jewish homeland right no muslim would ever contest that in fact, as a Muslim, and I speak as a Muslim now, I believe it's even my duty to uphold the the religious rights and the religious freedoms of and the religious beliefs of of particularly the Jewish people. Why? Because the Quran bears witness to, to, to Judaism. Islam bears witness. Islam comes forth from Judaism, right? In Islam, we believe that Jewish people and Christian people, they're people of the book. In the Day of Judgment, they'll stand in the line with us, right? So this is not a, a, a Islam versus Judaism more time i say they're even like there's they're we're all in the same region in it like you get what i'm saying like we're all i don't want to say we're all the same thing because we're not but like we'll derive from the Abraham we prop each other it? up yeah. we prop each other up right so you know it's, it's 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 as a muslim it's even my muslim duty you know to to aid and 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 and, and help kind of my jewish brothers and sisters um <clears throat> so insofar as there's this jewish belief of okay we need a homeland for ourselves 
completely, completely sympathise with that. In fact, there's actual images of like pre-1948 when Jewish people were coming to Palestine and the Palestinian people were they were they were arriving on a ship and the Palestinian people were welcoming them. You know, like Palestinians and, and Jewish people have lived peacefully on that land, you know, for, for millennia, millennia, particularly in the 19th century before and the 20th century, sorry, before the creation of Israel, Israel, there were increasing amounts of Jewish people who were returning to, to, to you know, Palestinian land and and they were... Um, accepted they were completely accepted you know so to to say that it has to be um either a jewish homeland or a palestinian homeland and they and they're completely mutually exclusive is wrong it's, it's it's inaccurate you know i say as a muslim it's islamically enshrined for us to honor that 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 kind of you know that jewish belief and that jewish practice first and foremost Secondly, I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of um, Jewish people being native to this land, right? So, because so the essentially the kind of Israeli stance and the Zionist stance is that oh, the Palestinians were there because of conquest, and the Israelis are actually the ones who are really indigenous to this land, right? So, I've already debunked the myth that Palestinians came as a result of Arab conquest. I've already said that there are a number of Palestinians who actually, you know, converted to um, Islam and they were themselves descended from Jewish people actually another myth busting thing is regarding the jewish diaspora where people say that all jewish people are descended from those who came from the jewish kingdoms of canaan it's not true a large part of the jewish diaspora today exists because of mass conversions to judaism across europe and north africa i.e they are european slash north african people with european and north african ancestry who then converted to judaism and the bit that's tricky and the blurred lines and the gray area is because judaism is an ethno religion where you can convert your 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 religion you can't really convert your ethnicity, but that happens by default when you convert to Judaism because it's considered an ethno ethno religion. I remember like a few months ago, I was watching Jewish matchmaking because I just I love reality shows and I I, I kind of love that kind of stuff. And I was watching it and and I was and it, the the show is basically set in Israel and across the Jewish diaspora, largely in America. And I was looking, I was, I'm seeing like the the kind of um, Jewish demographic, and they're all Jewish people. They're all they're all you know living in Israel, and it's so funny because obviously these it's a show about setting up Jewish people to marry each other. So they'd meet and they'd always have conversations about where are you from, where blah 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 blah, and it's always like, oh, where do you live in Israel? I live in so and so part. Oh, where are you from originally? Philadelphia you know and it's like oh i moved to israel from morocco oh i moved to israel from libya oh i moved to israel from hungary you know like that's the, that's the kind of actual demographic makeup of israel today you, you see it when you look at israeli people because they're not a monolithic they don't they do not have a monolithic phenotype you know why because they 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 belong to various ethnicities if we think of like ethnicity in the historically produced context right ethnicity and race are historically produced contexts that means they are produced by certain political governing structures that decide like this is how we're going to stratify people so for ease of government right that is what ethnicity is you can look at one jewish person they've got blonde hair blue eyes very white skin then you look at another jewish person they've got brown skin black hair black eyes you know and you telling me they're the same they're the same ethnicity because racialization and, and and making ethnicity is a visual exercise by the way um are you telling me they're the same ethnicity i don't think they are 
you know so that's what's really 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 tricky it's this idea of indigeneity it's this idea that actually all jewish people are indigenous to you know israel is factually incorrect because of you know as i said palestinians have also descended from the jewish people and that actually a lot of jewish diaspora comes from conversions but also then there's this whole conversations about ethnicity in general and how we construct ethnicity because ethnicity as i say is a historically produced construct that then changes across time right based on where you are and the kind of exposures that you have and we see proof of this when we consider for example yiddish which is a jewish language which actually is formed from hebrew and other germanic languages right that's a uniquely european like construct you know so to to kind of ignore that that cultural exchange and the creation of ethnicity following the the expulsion of jewish people from the the historic land of canaan is intellectually dishonest to say to put a blanket ethnicity on all jewish people and say you are all jewish simply because that's your faith system and therefore that becomes your ethnicity to me that doesn't make any sense right we can honor the religious claim absolutely we can but the ethnic claim that's and the the, in, the claim of indigeneity that's the bit that's very very gray area that's the bit that doesn't really stand up actually kind of when you look at jewish kind of demographics today the way they're stratified themselves is through the geographical locations and really what i think this is is ethnicity when people say they're either ashkenazi jew which is like european largely eastern european or shephardic jew which is um you know portugal spain north africa they see it as like just a, a stratification of internal jewish population i see that as ethnicity because you look at them and they look completely different to each other if you've been in a certain land for 2000 years your language your food your cultures your everything that constitutes an ethnicity has now been influenced by this geographical spatial context how is that then not your ethnicity you know and to kind of say that because this percentage percentage of the jewish diaspora have descendants that have come historically from the land of canaan therefore all jewish people now have access to you know this right of return what that logic basically then says that all of us who have any kind of ancestry from any other place we then have claim to that land right bearing in mind what we're talking about is ethnicity in the context of a modern world with modern borders and modern notions of citizenship the world as we know it now with this is the palestine border this is the israel border this is the uk border this is the bangladesh border it did not the world did not exist like that back in the days it was kingdoms and it was tribes and that's how it was so you're it's there's even a, a conundrum there in trying to basically pick up a tribe who historically they didn't even have a border themselves and now put them within a border in a modern world where borders are colonial continuities that are less than 1 century old right so so as i say it's not factually correct to say that they're all descended from this but also we now have to consider how his, how ethnicity is historically produced and how that changes and how that then changes the claim of indigeneity because if the claim of indigeneity is simply because oh I'm Jewish and that's the Jewish homeland that doesn't run why because all of us over 2000 years are products of the ebbing and flowing of various empires and the lending and giving to various empires you know if that works then me I have a claim to Iran you know because that's that's bangladesh somewhere along the line has 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 kind of ancestry from iran you know the romani people have a claim to south asia south asia have a claim to iran and uzbekistan and you know like 
parts of Africa. The Brits have a claim to Denmark. You cannot simply kind of use, apply and, 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 and mould modern borders in that way. It doesn't work like that. You know, so to talk about this claim of indigeneity, I don't personally think it's it's right or fair to honour it on that basis. The, the, the religious claim absolutely, I think, should be honoured. Every single person in this world has a right to practice their religious faith as they believe. And if the Jewish people say that is historically our homeland, that's where we want to live, that's where we want to, you know, practice our religion, they should be allowed to do that. And the UN could have done that. The UN could have made them like a protected, like, you know, a protected tribe or whatever, like a protected demographic. And by the way, uh, Jewish people have always had the right to immigrate in and out of and live in Palestine as Jewish people. They've always had that right. But to then make it a violent nation state that is predicated on apartheid, on, on settler colonialism, that's the bit that's not acceptable. That's the And that's actually the bit that's not even necessary to practice the Jewish belief of right to homeland. You know, to displace... Uh, you know, millions of people to to maim and kill however many more in the name of a, a Jewish homeland. It's not necessary. The Jewish people did not need the the existence of the IDF and the settler colonialism and the occupied territories of Palestine in order to practice their right to, you know, return to their homeland. That is a Western construct. That was the British saying, we're going to put you here because we've now forced, you know, we, we actually tricked the Palestinians into into controlling it. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you something. Um, when we're talking about kind of Western intervention and Western kind of presentation of this issue, um, obviously, I, as I've mentioned, they, they weaponize Islamophobia because the world already believes that Muslims are terrorists. The world already believes that Muslims are barbaric. The world already believes that Muslims are, are bad people. And therefore, it doesn't take much for the West to convince them that therefore Palestinians are like this. The last time the kind of Western world lied on a Muslim country and a large Muslim population like this in the same way was in 2003, when they lied about Iraq having weapons of mass destruction which then was the grounds on which the Iraq invasion was mandated, which then led to a war that then killed one million Iraqis, right? And we know now that that was a lie. The, the grounds on which they, they, they waged that war that killed one million Iraqis was falsified. Iraq did not have weapons of mass destruction. And it's the same exact thing that I'm seeing happening here, where they're making up lies about Palestinians, raping, beheading, doing this, that and the other. Why? Because it mandates more of an invasion. It mandates the annihilation, you know, the destabilisation of the Palestinian people. Why? For Western political power. We know why. Why did they do that in Iraq? It's not just because they felt like killing one million Iraqis. For them, it was collateral. Why? Because they wanted regional power. They wanted regional control. They destabilized the entire region so as to put themselves in there as the, the governing authority. I was thinking this. Do you think that's why Britain was like so... Obviously, like you said, at the beginning of the 20th century, they were... Um, saying to Palestine, oh, actually, you can have this back if you kick out Ottoman Empire. And then actually, they're like, hang on, if we do that, then we don't actually have like a leg in this. Oh, area they were, they, no, they, they never meant it. They never meant it. They all, what they, when they said to the Palestinians, if you kick out the Ottomans, we'll honor your independence, what they were doing was they were getting the Palestinians to do the heavy work for them mm. because they wanted the Ottomans out. They wanted control of that land, but they didn't want to waste the manpower and the resources and the money to do it themselves. They just got the, 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 the native yeah. population to well, do it for do them. Do you feel like that's probably why they were so? 
involved in obviously the creation of the I Israeli, mean, that's Israeli, exa- Israeli, that's, Israeli that's, state that's, as well, like in terms of wanting <laughs> to still have power and a claim in that area of the world guys we cannot separate this conflict from the history of empire the point at which israel was created it was allowed to be created and it was kind of supported by the british people and the reason why they had that power was because they made palestine a colony why because it was the age of empire it was a part of the british empire we cannot divorce Palestine as a nation state, Israel as a nation state from that history of empire. And if there's one thing we know, empire was all about power. Empire was all about control. Empire was all about capitalism, you know? And that's the genealogy of this issue. You trace it back far enough, that's what this is about, right? The creation of Israel as a nation state, not the Jewish right to return. That's their sanctified religious belief that I uphold as a, as, as a Muslim but the creation of Israel as a nation state. That's the reality of what's going on. Yeah. It's, it's Western political gain. And, 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 and the Palestinians are collateral the same way that one million Iraqis were collateral 20 years ago. It is interesting as well, just as like probably a final point of how we see the continuation of various restrictions in free speech and autonomy that we've been seeing in the uk oh absolutely we've now this is now to play into this like i said obviously we've seen um mass illuminations of the israeli flag on various buildings around the world including the uk like flags being hoisted etc of the israeli flag yet i believe it was in manchester that a young um, man yes, was actually someone I know was there yeah. and she recorded it and she put it in her story and I like yeah. spoke to her about it and essentially it was like a it was a pro, pro-Israel protest there was a young man who was waving the Palestinian flag he was not agitating anyone he was not provoking anything he was not violent in any way he was simply a symbol of, of, of that Palestinian resistance which according to free speech in this country we should be allowed to do he was arrested uh, he was put into the back of the van there and there was obviously a number of people who were kind of questioning the police why are you doing this and they were saying that oh he's he's uh being he's disrupting peace or whatever there was another man uh this girl that i know who was there she said that there was another guy that he was wearing the kufia which is the palestinian uh, like national scarf like and the police said to him take it off like this man is just wearing his like national dress and the police are telling him take it off Suella Braverman, apparently, I don't know if this is actually passed or not, is apparently looking to... Yeah, it hasn't passed yet. Yeah, criminalise the waving of the Palestinian flag. This country that is so up in arms about free speech, when they're talking about racism and Islamophobia and all this right-wing rhetoric, all of a sudden they are such heavy and ardent custodians of free speech Right, and free speech is, is um, the marker of civilization. Where is your free speech now? Make no mistakes about this. What happened to that boy? And I say this because I've seen it with my eyes and I've verified it with eyewitness testimony. What happened to that boy is fascism. It is fascism. To suppress an identity, to suppress an, a, a political freedom, to express your belief is fascism. The fact that the 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 Suella Braverman, the Foreign Secretary, Home Secretary, Home Secretary, Home Secretary is trying to pass a law that illegalizes an identity, an entire identity. She's essentially criminalizing Palestinians, an identity. That is fascism. That and and if that comes to pass, the UK will 
absolutely formally be known to be a fascist state. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. I would say surely that's not going to happen, but we, but it doesn't need it doesn't even need to be ratified or enshrined in actual like constitutional law when the police are yeah, already exercising already their it. powers to tell someone take off your, your, your anything that identifies you as Palestine. Yeah, the, that's already I that's think, already fascism, whether it's enshrined or not. That's already I fascism. The scarf and the flag, if you got them as your own identity, free speech, whatever. If, and I'm not saying this was the case, but if, say, the person who's waving the flag was, because it depends as well in terms of the actual protest. If it was a protest in, like, I stand with Israel, then fair enough. If it was, like, say, like, a visual for those that died, then I would maybe understand if you were, like, waving the flag and chanting. Oh, yeah, no, 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 that, no. It that, wasn't that, a visual. That, yeah, that, that I would it was understand. A, it was, a, it was pro-Israel uh, protest, yeah. basically. Like, and, 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 like, it's not just the guy who was waving the flag. It's the the stander by who came to question the police who's wearing the coffee who got told take it off mm-hmm. for what reason other than fascism you're suppressing an identity you're suppressing the right to express your belief it's fascism and that's where we're at guys that's where we're at obviously for those who have sat here and listened to this video i've tried my best to give a comprehensive and succinct kind of you know factual history and analysis of what is going on right now obviously do your own research um i apologize if i've made any mistakes in anything i've said i've i've engaged as earnestly and factually accurately as i can but i am just one person i'm not an expert this is something that i've been reading and learning about for the past like 12 years of my life um I've, obviously everyone <clears throat> do your own research learn for yourself um and 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 speak up like speak up we, we just kind of spoke then about how we're at a place now where we're facing real life fascism on the street when we're trying to express Palestinian solidarity for for people out there who are listening and who can see what's going on and who can see that this is apartheid and genocide and ethnic cleansing um please keep talking about it keep sharing it at a time like this where we can't physically go and help the Palestinian people the tide of public consensus is a very very powerful one and as I always say it has a horizontal impact um, if you can see this for what it is you can convince others of what it is you can teach others of what it is and enough people are kind of are exposing this truth the West the US the UK Israel will not have a such a strong facade to hide behind anymore and therefore inshallah there will then be some kind of question into what they're doing and what they're continuing to do. Um, And at the very least, if all we can do is kind of boost and bolster Palestinian morale, then then that's what we need to be doing. Um, Yeah. Everybody everybody needs to be talking about this. I think it's worth saying as well that we're not asking you to just share an infographic onto your story for the sake of it or anything like that it doesn't need to be in the form of i'm showing this it can be having conversations that's what i think that's more important that's more important share stuff on your social media of course because there might be someone who looks and doesn't isn't aware read something that then opens their mind absolutely share stuff but the important thing is have those conversations every single one of not one single one of us is exempt from this conversation not one single one of us it is a humanitarian crisis it's a crisis of morality every single one of us no matter where you're who you are where you're from what you believe we have a moral duty we cannot ignore that this is apartheid this is genocide i think as well like 
when you think about when stuff like this happened in the past obviously it's, it's always happening but this is an example of the whole world is kind of focusing on this right now because of social media people are able to actually like see what's going on even obviously now they've like cut the power and stuff it's obviously going to be a lot harder to but we're still seeing like what's going on exactly. you can still see the injustice like there's never been more of a right time to actually like make use of that 100 like, as yeah. futile and, and hopeless as as it might all feel feel sorry um we can't we can't understate the significance of it you know like because there's so much more that they will otherwise get away with this is absolutely by no means the extent of israel's depravity this is absolutely by no means the extent of israel's capability to annihilate the palestinian people i am sitting every single day in absolute trepidation of what is yet to come you know, to, to tell one million guardians to evacuate, surely there's something coming. I, I pray to God that it's not what I think it is, but going off precedent, you know, the, the, mean, the Palestinian people, they need our support. I, the, thing is, the thing is as well, I saw like some like member of the Israeli defense um, higher up, like say, like casually drop in about nuclear warfare and i'm just like nuclear do, warfare with who also you do kind of realize that like if you drop anything there that's not even just going to affect obviously the israelis that are settled in palestine it's going to affect israelis in Themselves. israel as well i don't like, think it will be i don't think it will be uh, nuclear warfare you know why because they don't need nuclear warfare they don't they they already like just seismically surpass any military capability that Hamas or any other Palestinian resistant force has nuclear warfare would just be like it'd be a waste if oh, anything like yeah. they don't they do not need it at this point you know so yeah. my it is my earnest kind of pledge and like you know or plea sorry to everyone out there to really really learn this history to not believe what the media tell you to learn it for yourself to understand what's going on and to stand wholeheartedly unreservedly with the palestinian people regardless of whatever of, of attacks have, have happened in israel which once again we categorically you know cannot condone the loss of any civilian life but the bigger picture here is that it is not the israelis that are facing genocide it is not the israelis that are facing settler colonialism and apartheid it's the palestinians you know and and that's the kind of that is the parameter of this issue that while we might be able to kind of you know give certain concessions with smaller events that you know like meta events the kind of wider context and the wider parameter and the wider shape of this is that this is an apartheid and a genocide upon the palestinian people and every single person should be standing unreservedly with the palestinian cause and that doesn't mean hamas by the way that's the palestinian liberation cause it's separate yeah as, as if i had to even clarify that yeah cool well one hour after we were meant to log off wow. we are logging off but i think if there was ever a need to really sit and do that then today was the day if you jumped in at any point in the conversation and thought hang on this sounds like biased or whatever even though i don't think it would have because everything Every we're saying it was factual facts. it's nothing here um, is my apart from the reflections at the end yeah nothing has been of my own opinion no yeah. it's not an opinion everything i've said is facts i i literally spent like 10 15 minutes non-stop reeling off statistics they 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 speak for themselves yeah 
obviously praying that the, the, for de-escalation in the end of, of apartheid of and for the liberation of the Palestinian people. Of At course. the same time, thoughts are with in both the Jewish and Islamic communities around the world that have been affected by this in any way. If it sounds like I'm rushing, it's because I've got 20 seconds left. Um, but yeah, thank you to, for people that's listening. Hopefully that this has been insightful and factual yeah. and has made you think and want to act following this yeah okay log enough take care guys see you next week bye